All right. October 19th, 2011. October 19th, 2011. It was a typical Tuesday in the small town of Zanesville, Ohio. Weather was unseasonably or was seasonably cool, unlike our fall here in Southern California, unseasonably, right? People went to work, it rained, kids went to school. And while people were at work and the kids were in school, more than 50 wild animals roamed the town, including lions, Bengal tigers, and grizzly bears. Yes. Oh my, lions, tigers, and bears. I didn't even mean for that, but that's right in line with my kind of, my shtick here. That afternoon, 911 dispatch recorded receiving reports of alarmed residents. A wolf was spotted near the high school, a mountain lion on a rural road, and a lion was resting under a streetlight. By nightfall, Zanesville was in a full emergency mode. Construction lights flashed, and the message, caution exotic animals, stay in vehicle, were on the roads. Residents were ordered indoors while local law enforcement scrambled to protect the public. And it all started because a man, Terry Thompson, the owner of a private local zoo, released his exotic animals before tragically taking his own life. He had had problems, um, and um, this was the end for him. The freed animals included Bengal tigers, lions, black bears, grizzly bears, mountain lions, leopards, wolves. Jack Hanna, celebrity zookeeper, said it was like Noah's Ark wrecking right here in Zanesville, Ohio. The news cameras descended on Zanesville, and the world watched as the event unfolded. For one evening, tigers and lions stalked not the remote jungles and savannas of Africa and Asia, but the streets of a suburban American town. Two worlds collided, and the wild invaded the civilized. This is the opening story in Nate Dyke's uh, book called Yawning at Tigers. And he tells a story of how when he went to the zoo that his young son when they came to the tiger enclosure, you know, with the glass and everything, it was the end of the day, and his young son looked at the tiger and just yawned. <sighs> Yawning in the presence of one of the fiercest animals in the world. And Dyke writes this book about, in a similar way that we can encounter God in a very similar way that we become very familiar with God. We have ideas about God. We have theology about God. We talk about God. We answer hard questions about God. And sometimes that our dealing with God can be to the effect of essentially putting God in an enclosure. And when we come and Connor and the team stand up here and sing, it's like a big plexiglass in front of them. And we come and we encounter God as if God were in a pen. We have this thing before every worship service that we talk about our energy levels and where we're at for the day because we, this started when we, were, um, when we were just live streaming because nobody's in here. We can't gain the energy from, the, from you all. So when, uh, when it was just us, we'd have like 10 people in here, booth, switcher room, and, and the band and myself, 
and we would start by, by asking, where, what's everybody's energy level? And the rule was, you go from one to 10, one is low, 10 is high, if you're taking notes at home. But the one thing you couldn't answer, there's one number that you could not answer. What's that number? Seven. Why seven? Everybody would say, if you don't know what your energy level is, you would say seven. No seven. Seven is the most dangerous number. Seven is the most dangerous number. It's the number when you don't know where you're at. I must be a seven. I'm neither high or low. I'm right in the middle. And we force, we force the team to choose one side or the other, right? And then we do push-ups and jumping jacks and we try to get our... Anyway, that's another story altogether. But with that in mind, what I want to do today, what I want to begin today, is I want us to begin... I want us to begin to look at tigers, to look at lions, to look at grizzly bears, look at God, not from behind plexiglass, but what would happen if God were to invade this particular scene? And with that in mind, what I want to do is begin a series on a book that maybe the pages of your Bible stick together when you read this book, but the book of Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. So if you would, if you would open your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 1, if you go to the major prophets, Isaiah is a major prophet, and then you get Jeremiah, and then Lamentations, and then you come to Ezekiel. So find Ezekiel chapter 1. If you open up to the middle of your Bible, you'll probably hit Psalms or Isaiah or something like that. Turn a little bit to your right, and you'll come to Ezekiel chapter 1. And if you would, in honor of God and His Word, His wild Word, if you would stand in honor of God's revelation to us. All right, I'm going to read the entire first chapter, and so here we go. This is the word of the Lord. In the 30th year of the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, I was, as I was among the exiles by the Kabar Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kabar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and on each they had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot, and they spoke sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings and on their four sides they had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. For as the likeness of their faces each had a human face, the four had the face of a lion on the right side, the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. And their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward whenever the spirit would go. They went without turning as they went. 
As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming barrel. And the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being as it were like a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of four directions without turning as they went. Their rims were tall and awesome. The rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And then the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Whenever the Spirit wanted them to go, they went. And the wheels rose along with them, for the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was a likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystal, spread out above their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretching out straight toward one another. Each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, the sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let their wings down. And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their heads... There was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of the throne was the likeness of a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire And there was brightness all around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. This is God's word. Amen. And amen. You may take a seat. Well, it's going to be a wild ride, if you hadn't guessed. Um, why Ezekiel? Why Ezekiel? Um, I would say um, my call to minister. Somebody asked me, Craig, when did you know that you were called to be a pastor? And I, I answered that question on this panel one time that I said, I don't know if I've actually been called to be a pastor. What I feel like I've been called to is I've been called to the Bible. And I feel like my life in Christ, that my calling, obviously my calling to Taft Avenue is a season of calling, but the overall calling of my own life has been to study and teach the Bible. And I've done, I've done degrees. I've probably done too many degrees over time. I've paid, I've I've incurred debt in doing so um, over the years where that's, it's nice that that's, that season is over. Um, But one of the things that has driven me through a couple of master's degrees and a PhD, and, and standing in front of you all is simply this question. 
when I sit in my office and I, I read and I study, one question really drives me, and that is this. What must it have been like? Particularly early in my, my walk with Jesus, this question as I read the Gospels, one of the questions that stood out to me that um, one of my professors, Jerry Root, who just retired, he was at Wheaton, he taught the C.S. Lewis class at Biola University over interterm, um, and uh, he would say, what must he have been like? And that's been the driving force of my study. And when I think about sitting down in front of a passage and talking to you all about it, it's simply this question, what must it have been like? And so much of my teaching and theologizing in the classroom as well as the pulpit has been in the service of bringing other people like you all along on my own journey of asking this question, what must it have been like? And when I read the Bible, I'm asking that question, what must it have been like? And, there are ex- and as we do this, there are explanations and, you, and maps, of course, right? And, and doctrines and theology. And when we do this, when we look at these explanations and doctrines, and as we stand here and as I teach, there are explanations that bring comfort. And as we read the Bible, we read the Gospels, we read about joy and that God brings comfort, God brings joy, God brings peace and hope. But there are times when the Bible tells tales or paints a picture of God that disturb us. We can't get past the difficulties, and for all our explanations, we have to admit that God is hard to understand, and we have to admit that God is downright dangerous. And sometimes we pay more attention to, like, how dangerous the sun is. Like, think about how much time you spend thinking about how dangerous the sun is. You buy hats, you buy sunscreen, you stay inside, it's hot out. Like, how much do we think about what it means to pay attention to how dangerous God is. What do we do? How do we protect? What are those sorts of things? And what I wanted to do in this series, as we've come out, it's so awesome. We've studied the Gospel of Mark. We've done parables. We've done, uh, we've done the book of Acts. But I wanted to do something that reminded us of who God is, that God is good. And Ezekiel will tell us that. That God is just. And Ezekiel will tell us that. That God offers hope, and Ezekiel will eventually tell us that. But God is dangerous, and Ezekiel will make no mistake that the God he serves is a God who comes on a war chariot. So, he cannot be kept behind glass, he cannot be kept in the enclosure, he can't be controlled he will escape and get loose, and Ezekiel will remind us that God will get loose. All right, you guys with me? All right, Ezekiel, again, this, there's, this, we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this first chapter, um, warnings aside, I mean, we're going to, fair warning to this whole thing, um, and get a little introduction to the book, and then we're going to, um, today we're going to look more, Ezekiel will be next week, we'll kind of take a long look at Ezekiel and who he is, but today, today, is about chapter 1, which is not about Ezekiel, is it? It's about God. It's about the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. All right, so first three verses. You guys with me? Open to Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, The 13th month of the fourth, the 13th, 30th year of the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, I was among the exiles by the Kabar Canal 
and the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. A couple things about this, what we find out about King Jehoiachin, that in the exile, and again, if you are new to this whole Bible thing, you have a, a sweeping scope of history. We'll go back to David, King David. He was the, the greatest king of Israel. He, fought, he was uh, after Saul, after David was Solomon. The height of the empire was under Solomon. Solomon built a temple, and all of the life of Israel was built then around the life of this temple. But the kings who came after Solomon were no good skis. They weren't good. There were a couple good ones, uh, but most of them were bad. And what happened is that after Israel breaks this covenant over and over and over and over again, that God will actually send the Babylonians to take the nation of Israel captive. And they do that in three waves, okay? They take captives in three waves. Isaiah warns of it a hundred years before Ezekiel gets on the scene. Isaiah warns about it a hundred years before. But the first the first capture, the first exile, the first attack of Babylon on Israel, they take nobility. In that first exile, Daniel and his friends go. And the book of Daniel chronicles that. Jeremiah will chronicle that. Or actually, Jeremiah will come after. Jeremiah then, after that first exile, Jeremiah warns that Babylon is coming back. Israel, don't make alliances with Egypt. Or with with the king of Tyre, Babylon is coming. Israel makes alliances with Egypt and the king of Tyre. Babylon comes and takes a second wave of captives. Ezekiel is among them. Second wave. And Ezekiel is then a prophet. And Ezekiel has a 20-year prophetic career. A 20-year prophetic career. It all happens. He's the only prophet who his entire career is outside of Israel. He's the only one outside of Israel. But Ezekiel prophesies about the fall then of Jerusalem, the last wave. The first wave was Daniel. Second wave was Ezekiel. The third wave is the crushing blow on the nation of Israel. That, all, that basically everyone in the nation is carted off into captivity and the Babylonians burn and destroy the entire city of Jerusalem. They essentially scrape it off its foundation. It's like, it's like the Terminator. It's like the most dystopian movie you could ever imagine. It's, it is, it's the end of the world. It is the Holocaust. And the nation then has to ask, what do we do? How do we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? God will rebuild it with Ezra and Nehemiah, but not before he scrapes the foundation. Here's the deal. Ezekiel is the last prophet to prophesy about the destruction of Jerusalem, the Holocaust, the end. And Ezekiel's prophetic career is at the very bottom. It's, he is the one who proclaims Jerusalem will be destroyed, but he's also alive to proclaim the hope that comes after. And the whole book of Ezekiel is actually divided into these two halves. The first half is the prophet of doom, of woe, until the, cap, the last captives come from Israel with news that Jerusalem has fallen, and then God says, Ezekiel, it's time to change your tune. You've got to preach hope now. It's woe, and then it's hope. And that's how the book is divided. And Ezekiel happens to be born into this time where he is, we don't get to choose where we're born, do we? We could be born at the height of all things. Ezekiel is born at the very bottom. 
the very bottom. That's where his career is, the end and the new beginning. And that's where we're at with Ezekiel. So Ezekiel is sitting. So eventually he will, pre- he will preach woe, but he'll eventually preach that the heart of stone will be turned to a heart of flesh, that dry bones will be raised to new life, and that eventually there will be a good shepherd to lead the people of Israel. The, the, uh, the Gospel of John actually will actually borrow a number of images from Ezekiel. And so we're going to be finding Jesus throughout Ezekiel as we go through. All right, so Ezekiel is sitting among the exiles by the Kabar Canal in Babylon. The Kabar Canal is an irrigation canal that is dug off the Euphrates River. And so what we find is that Ezekiel, well, here's the, here's the deal. The story begins with Ezekiel the prophet sitting by an irrigation ditch in a refugee camp in Babylon. And that's where God shows up in all his glory. By an irrigation ditch in a refugee camp, God shows up. Look at verse 4. Now the vision, here's the vision. The vision is crazy. We're going to get back to that, the idea of where, where, where ought be God. God ought be somewhere else. Like he doesn't always show up by irrigation ditches, right? Like that's, we don't have an irrigation ditch running through here. It's like, hey, let's build an irrigation ditch right through our, that's the best thing we could do, right? That's not where we would imagine God is at. And so we'll get to that in just a second. But here's the vision and the creatures beginning in verse four. And fair warning, The first chapter of Ezekiel, there's a lot of traditions about the book of Ezekiel. It's actually pretty fascinating. But one of the traditions about the book of Ezekiel is that rabbis, if you were training to be a rabbi, you could not study it until you were 30 years old. You couldn't study it until you were 30 years old. And the reason why is in verse 4. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. That word metal. That word metal is the word hashmal. It's this very obscure Hebrew word. Hashmal is what, whatever it is that's coming out of this storm cloud with lightning and and thunder, and these weird creatures, whatever it is, it's hashmal. Hashmal is what constitutes this vision. And your Bible probably translates, translates it as gleaming metal. It's a very obscure word, and the tradition has it in the Talmud is that a young man in his teacher's house took out a scroll of Ezekiel. And as he's reading verse 4, he reads about hashmal, and this young man actually understands the full meaning of the word hashmal. And what happens is, out of the scroll, out of that very word hashmal, comes fire that devours the young man, poof. So you can't read it till you're 30 years old. That's the story, okay? Now, whether or not you believe that, okay, uh, and that's the legend about it. And it's not the only book of the Hebrew Bible um, that you can't read if you're training to be a rabbi until you're older, like the Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, you can't read, but that's because of a different kind of fire, right, guys? Anyway, all right, never mind. Uh, let's move on from that. Okay, no, man, the jokes, Ezekiel jokes. That's uh, maybe not the genre we're looking for. Anyway, so what this says, so you got a stormy wind cloud, 
And the idea is that in Babylon, in the summertime, particularly July, you would get many dust storms that would come from the north. And I've never been in an actual dust storm. I've been in kind of the remnants of a dust storm in the Middle East, but I've never been on the front end of a dust storm. But maybe you've seen one in maybe a film or a movie or something like that. This cloud, this huge cloud coming and enveloping, right? And that's the image that, that Ezekiel has, that there's this huge dust storm that's coming from the north, and out of it is just lightning and thunder, and it just flashes, and you've got this burning, gleaming metal in the middle of it. And as he sees this gleaming metal and he sees coming out of this dust storm, he sees a number of things first. And the first thing he sees are these four living creatures that we read about. The four living creatures. It says uh, in verse 5, From the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness. So these appear, they, they have this kind of weird appearance, but they have four faces on them. Do you remember what the four faces are? you got a face of a human. you got a face of of a lion, you got a face of an ox, and you got a face of an eagle. That's the idea. And they are coming, and the reason why, so here's, here's the, this describes really um, what we would call uh, a cherub or a, or a seraph, one of the, an angel, an angelic uh, creature. And this is not an animal, it's a creature. And we, you know, it's like, you, you'll hear a lot in Ezekiel, it's like the likeness of or the appearance of, it's, and Ezekiel's kind of like struggling to find words. It's like, these things, they came out, and they had these four faces, and they had like four wings, but they had arms too. You know, like Ezekiel is just struggling. If you were struggling to hear it, imagine Ezekiel trying to explain it. And the reason why there's these four faces is you have the lion is the fiercest of the animals. The ox was the most valuable or the strongest of the domesticated animals. The eagle was the fiercest and the, and the swiftest of all the birds. And the humans the humans ruled it all. And so you have everything under creation. These, these creatures are kind of an embodiment of everything under creation that is valuable and powerful. But the, the, the vision is not about the creatures, is it? And this is where we're going to get to because every time he describes something, he's like, well, there's something else. And the second thing that he sees are wheels. And you're like, wheels? This is, so by the way, um, there's also a, a major part of uh, traditions, uh, Jewish traditions, mystical traditions, um, that like Merkabah, mystical traditions, that use Ezekiel 1 as a, a reference point for visionary experience. So people would lock themselves in rooms and read Ezekiel 1 and try to imagine it and hope that it took them into a visionary experience. So um, we're not going to do that. The practicum for that will be um, later on. We can do that on Wednesday nights if we want to do that. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But, but that's the idea. There are... <laughs> All right, you guys, this is, yeah, here we go. But the wheels, so the next thing are wheels. Look at verse 15. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, each for each of them. Now, here's, here's the point of the wheels, and a lot of people make a big deal about the wheels. Are they, are they, is it one wheel going this way and one wheel going this way, or is it a wheel and a wheel within a wheel? Like, there's all kinds of ideas about this, and it's all, there's, you go online and you type in Ezekiel's chariot, and I was going to show you some images. We're going to look at one next week. Um, but I want the theater of the mind for this week. But it gets crazy. Like, it gets crazy. People put UFOs there and everything. A lot of people think that, I mean, anyway, hang on to me, okay? <clears throat> the reason why wheels is that the point that Ezekiel is making is these four living creatures, he sees them first, but what he realizes <clears throat> is that these four living creatures 
they are part of a chariot. They're part of a chariot. And the point is not the living creatures, and the point is not the wheels. The point is not the chariot. The point is not the table on top of the chariot. The point is not even the throne that's on top of that. What's the point? The appearance of the likeness of the glory of God, which is at the top. And Ezekiel is building out of this huge dust storm cloud. Here comes God on a war chariot. Only it's not like a chariot that has to stay on the earth. If it wants to go this way, it goes this way. And nobody has to turn, it just goes that way. Or it goes up, it goes down, it goes all over. The chariot is unlike any kind of a chariot, but it's still like one of these royal war chariots that would carry around kings. But it's not oxen or eagles or, or lions or even humans on top. It's something totally other, totally different. Look at verse 22. So you've got the living creatures and you've got the wheels and now the platform on verse 22. Verse 22, over the heads of the living creatures there was the likeness of an expanse shining like awe-inspiring crystal out above their heads. And under the expanse their wings were stretched out straight one toward another and each creature had two wings covering its body. Now here's the, here's the image. This is what the image is. If you're, tr- if you're struggling to get an image of what this is, You've got four of these living creatures and they're all facing out like one of their faces is facing out and they don't move, they're just fixed, okay? And they have, they've got wings that go out and hands that go out, but they also have these wings that go back. Now, I can't really do this because I'm not that flexible, right? Their two wings go back and if you have four of these like this, they form four legs of a tabletop, right? Their wings touch so you would have one here and one here, and their wings would touch here. You have one here and one here, their wings would touch here. You have one here and one here, their wings would touch here. Same thing here. And on top of this, you have a platform. This is what Ezekiel is seeing. And this is what is rounding out what this chariot is. But look at the tabletop here. It's shining like awe-inspiring crystal spread out above their heads. And now listen to the sound. Verse 24. When they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. Um, I don't know about you. I don't, I don't know. I was thinking this last week. What is the loudest thing I've ever heard in nature? What's the loudest thing I've ever heard in nature? And I've thought about maybe waterfalls, like I've been at some pretty big waterfalls, and you hear the sound of rushing waters, you hear it coming down, and you just hear the rumble of a waterfall, you hear it coming. Or maybe thunder, a thunderstorm. And if you've ever been in a thunderstorm right underneath where, like the thunder and the lightning are right at the same time, like the sound of that. I don't know what it is. that Maybe you've been in, in, in an experience where you've heard sound, like the sounds of nature that have been uh, amazingly loud. When I was growing up, we lived in Irvine, and when I was growing up, there were two marine bases right by our house. There was the Tustin Air Station, and there was the El Toro Marine Base. And um, the Tustin Air Station had these, and still does, um, these huge, um, uh, what do you call them? 
Hangers, that's what. And the hangers were built for blimps, but what they kept in mostly were helicopters. And um, these super stallion helicopters is what they were. And sometimes these, these helicopters would fly from Tustin Air Base to El Toro Marine Base, and our house was right in the path of these super stallion helicopters. And when they flew over, the windows would rattle. I mean, it was crazy, right? And you might have heard that. We, I was in a, um, a men's group at a church. At one, the church we were at before we were here was in Costa Mesa. It was right by John Wayne Airport. And at John Wayne Airport, um, at 7 a.m., like planes can't take off until 7 a.m. But when 7 a.m. hits, they take off. And I remember being on this Friday morning men's group, and they said, if you can hear jets flying, you're late. Because we started at 7 o'clock. But you get close, and all of a sudden, 7 a.m., you know, the open up the throttle, and these guys are just taking off. And when you go out of John Wayne, you don't, I mean, you have to gun it because you've got to, you got to do the climb, and then you got to, you know, if you've ever flown out of John Wayne, you know that it's a ride, right? So, all, but all that to say, you got to think about the loudest thing you can think about. The loudest thing you can think about. And for Ezekiel, he says, when I heard, when I went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, the sound of tumult, like the sound of an army, like a marching army. And so Ezekiel sees this dust storm coming out of the north with flashes of lightning and glowing metal and these bizarre and crazy creatures coming out with a crystal top and this chariot is coming out and he's describing all of this and all of this isn't even important as, as much as what next what's coming next is just set up it's just set up for what's coming next it's bizarre and crazy and strange and awe-inspiring as it already has been it's only a setup for what is coming look at verse 26 and above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. Now, even that, you think, oh, the throne, that's, that's what it's like. But even that is just warm up. Because look what's next. He says, and seated not on the throne, the one who comes, the glory of the Lord is not seated on the throne, the glory of the Lord is above the throne. It's like there's this chariot with a throne on it, and he's so great, he doesn't even sit on the throne. He's above the throne. And Ezekiel is trying, he's building this so that we can get an, an idea about what is God like. Verse 27, upward from what? had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were a uh, By the way, let me, let me just say this. All of this leads up to the throne and the one who's seated on the throne. But just listen to how Ezekiel struggles to find the words, okay? Two words, two words in Hebrew. The word demuth, which is the word for likeness, and the word for appearance like, which is the word mara. Listen for those, for, for likeness and appearance as I read this section. And above the expanse over their heads was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of the throne was the likeness of a human appearance. And upward from what did the appearance of his waist I saw as it were gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. 
downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Ezekiel is like, it's like this thing that's kind of like this thing. Well, what was it like? It was like, it was kind of like this, but not like that, like something greater. And listen to how he ends this. All of this is the buildup to this, to one word, to one word, actually two words, two words in Hebrew. All of this chapter, this whole thing is build up to this one thing. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. The kavod Yahweh. Kavod is the word for glory in Hebrew. The word kavod carries with it the idea of weight, of weightiness, of honor, of wealth, of significance, glory, kavod. And everything was just a preamble to something that looked like something that looked like the glory of the Lord, the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Glory, honor, splendor, wealth. You know, Moses asked the Lord when they were in the wilderness and it was kind of rough and Moses needed some assurance and he said, Lord, show me your kavod. Show me your glory. And God said, no. Because anyone who sees my glory up close will die anyone who sees my glory unfiltered poof gone god says i'll tell you what i'll let you see my backside you guys remember this story and what he means by that is he means i'll show up in all my glory but then as i'm moving away as my glory is moving away as my waning glory i'll allow you to come out and look at my waning glory because if you were to stand before it it would destroy you Show me your glory. No. And for Ezekiel, God's, God shows up the, with the appearance of the likeness of God's glory, and it has arrived on a war chariot. Not to, ju- to judge, yes, not to judge Babylon. but to judge his own people. God shows up in his glory not to give the Babylonians their comeuppance, but to tell his people there is still yet destruction to be done. And for me, this is where, this is where for me, I, I, have to, I have to push back from the study desk And I've got to say, God is something different than me. Like, I have ideas. I have ideas about what God ought to do and what he ought not do. I got great ideas. I got a lot of ideas, and I'm happy to share them with everybody. But there's a point where I've got to push back. I've got to push back and say, I can't even handle the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. 
God has his ways. And one of the things that we, we dare not do is make God a seven. It's the most dangerous number. God is no seven. God is, an, God is a raging ten. An unsafe, dangerous ten who will enfold you in his loving arms in the raging fury of his love. Safe or not, as Job says, though he slay me, I will yet praise him. Job had an understanding of who God was, and it it didn't match up with his own sensibilities. And this is for us, for me, like, Ezekiel for me is, is a representation of I have ideas about what God is like and what he ought to do, what he ought not to do, but at the end of the day, I have to step back and I have to say, I will not simply put God into an enclosure behind plexiglass and yawn when I see him. That God has permission to prowl the streets of my town looking forever who he, whatever he wants and whoever he will to find and do with what he desires, including me. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the, of the glory of the Lord, and when I saw it, I fell on my face. And I heard a voice. And next week we'll, we'll hear, we'll listen to the voice. We'll listen to the voice. But this is the tee up. This is, this is the beginning of reading a book and about a prophet who finds himself in a position he didn't want to be in. You see, he was a priest. He didn't want to be a prophet. He wanted to be a priest. And those offices are different. He wanted to bring comfort to people, but God had warning to give to them. Ezekiel wanted to be listened to, but God said, You're going to preach, and I'm going to tell you to preach, and nobody's going to listen to you. And this is a reminder, this is a reminder that God's ways are often not our own. It's no excuse for us to just willy-nilly say, God, look, something bad happened, you know, that's, oh, God's ways are not our ways. But it is a reminder to us that when we come to God, we come to fall on our face before him. Not to hold him at arm's distance, not to put him in an enclosure, not to put up the plexiglass between he and and us. You know, one, as we, we're going to do the Lord's Supper in just a second, but, and I'll and hang on, worship team, but um, maybe the first point, this awe-inspiring God, the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, one of the main questions that we have in the book of Ezekiel is, here's Ezekiel, a refugee, by an irrigation ditch, in a refugee camp. And here comes the glory of the Lord. And if you're a good Jew, one of the things that you're immediately wondering is, what the heck is God's glory doing by an irrigation ditch in a refugee camp in Babylon? The glory of the Lord is supposed to be in the temple. That's where the glory of the Lord's supposed to be. When Isaiah has a vision, when Isaiah has a vision, do you remember Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah chapter 6, where does that vision take place? 
in the throne room of God, in the central temple, the temple, the, the, this, this throne room, this settled place. A hundred years later, when Ezekiel records the glory of the Lord, where's it at? It's on a chariot, moving. It's not settled, it's moving around that God has gotten loose from the temple. All the conventional wisdom of where God ought to be, God says, no. And, and don't mistake this, the Babylonians didn't drive me out of that temple. I chose to leave that temple. I will do what I want to do. When I want to fire up the chariot and go somewhere you don't think I should go, I'm going. And I'm not asking permission, and I'm not making excuses. And God said, my glory will go exactly where I want it to go. And this is, this is for me, challenging, isn't it? Because there's sometimes where I see God at work, and I'm like, what the heck is God doing at work there with that person in that God-forsaken place? And God says, I will put my glory wherever I want to put it. You can't put me in an enclosure. You can't put me in a temple. You can't put me in a box. I'll find my way out. I will find my way out and I will do what I want to do. And this morning, it's just a reminder. It's a reminder to us. We are his servants. We're not his boss. Even as theologians, we're not, we're not called to say this is what God is like and you can't think about him any other way. We are explorers. We are on a journey. We're trying to figure this out. And sometimes God comes in and just blows the whole thing up because God will do what God wants to do. God will go where he wants to go. God will be what he wants to be. And our job is to fall on our faces. So, One of the things we need to, and I hope this doesn't sound heavy-handed, I'm not, I'm not on anybody for anything in particular. This is, for me, this is about what do we do, when, what do I do when I come to a place in Scripture where I don't know what to do? Like, that's going to be us before, like, this fall. This whole fall is going to be looking at uncomfortable things that God is telling Ezekiel to do, but then also the hope that God will give through Ezekiel. God will take a valley of dry bones and will raise them back to life. God will take corrupt leadership, shepherds who feed themselves, and replace them with a good shepherd. And when Jesus shows up in John chapter 10 and says, I am the good shepherd, he's talking about Ezekiel. And the only way, the only way we survive the glory of the Lord, the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord is because when God wanted to ultimately reveal his glory, the gospel of John says, we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, Jesus. And even today we come, we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We come to celebrate that we can come without fear of being annihilated because we come at, under mercy of Jesus, that he's made a way for us. He's made a way for us to enter the throne room. 
And as much as Ezekiel writes this, Ezekiel writes this from a period of time before Jesus. And he anticipates that Jesus will eventually come. And we stand at a point in history where we can say, no, we rely on Jesus. And even today as we come, we remember that not only do we not need to be afraid of going to God, though he is awesome and amazing and we still fall on our face, but we come knowing that the broken body and the spilt blood of Jesus has made a way for us to come. All the fury and danger of God has been absorbed by Jesus so we can come. But we dare not take it for granted. So today I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. As we come, um, what we're going to do in our practice is this. You come forward, you grab a cup, and on the bottom, uh, there's two cups. The bottom one has the, the cracker in it, representing the bread, and then the top cup has juice in it, representing um, the wine, his blood. And um, you'll take it back to your seat. You'll come up, you'll take it back to your seat. If you want some time to reflect, I think just this, this deserves some reflection as we just ask the question, like, what do I need? What kind of a vision of God do I need? Like, what do I need a refresher on? In what part of my life do I need to fall on my face? Even as, I, even as Jesus says, you're invited, I'm inviting you to this table, you could still say, I still need to fall on my face. And where in that, where in your own life do you need this kind of, this refresher of the glory of God? A vision of God will carry us through. A vision of God like this carried Ezekiel through a very difficult season. He did, he did some nasty stuff, and we're going to look at it. He would have never made it if he did not have such a clear vision of who God is. And I just urge you, as you come and you take the elements, you go back to your seat to just reflect might just say to God, God, I need a clear vision of you. Or maybe there's something that you just know you need. And as we do that, we're gonna, uh, we'll sing a song afterwards, but um, Kirsten will play some music. But when you're ready, come forward, take the elements, take them back to your seat. We'll do it all together, okay? All right, let's, let's do this. Father, we love you. We pray and ask that you would uh, give us a fresh vision of who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.